You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er fam, welcome to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and today is a very special episode, if you can call it that. I am flying solo again. Uh, I had no intention of doing this, but if you are listening to this episode on release day, you are listening to it on the day before my 40th birthday. That's right. I am hitting the big 4-0 and I was perfectly fine with just releasing another guest interview um, this week, but DeMarcus really pushed and encouraged me uh, to get back on the mic by myself and just talk to you, the audience. So that is what I am doing. In the weeks leading up to my birthday, I've been thinking a lot about my 30s and the lessons that I learned during that time and the things that I experienced, both good and bad. Um, And like a lot of people, I think, Hitting a milestone age can be incredibly sobering. So I'm looking ahead, of course, and making plans for what I want this next chapter to look like. Um, But I've been engaging in a lot of retrospective thought, if you can call it that. And as I was thinking about recording this episode and thinking about some of the things in my life that I've been reflecting on, uh, I really wanted to touch on what I think are the biggest lessons that I learned on the journey in my 30s that I really want to carry forward into uh, my 40s and really work to apply them to this stage of my life. And now I want to share them with you. So if you heard the last episode that I did like this, I think it was still hot outside. I don't even know. It was a while ago. Um, It was completely freestyle. And so Save for a few bullet points, I am doing the same thing again. Uh, There will be no video for this recording to accompany this podcast episode. I'm also on the road right now. No, I'm not traveling for pleasure just yet. Uh, Anybody who knows me well, you know that I love to travel for my birthday, particularly to exotic international locations. I'm not doing that right now, maybe in the summer, depending upon how this pandemic goes. Um, But I am traveling with the lawyer hat on, on some uh, business moves. So because of that, uh, because I'm just stuck in a hotel doing this on the run, I don't have the proper setup uh, for the whole video thing. So this will just be audio, but I hope you take something from it. Um, As I thought about what I wanted to talk about in this episode, I definitely felt full just thinking about the things uh, that I've gleaned from the last 10 years. And so I'm hoping that you glean something from this as well. So let's get into it. First and foremost, this might be the biggest lesson for me out of all of these, and that is never be afraid to pivot. Um, And what you may not know about me is that I celebrated my 30th birthday and launched a solo law practice all within the same month. Uh, I had been practicing law at that point for a couple of years and decided that I wanted to hang my own shingle. And when you start a law practice that young in your career, people tend to think that you're doing it because you can't do anything else or you don't have a job. And that was not the case for me at all. I had a job that I was doing really well in. It wasn't my life's work. I didn't necessarily enjoy it, but I was thriving professionally 
Uh, but also I was just paying attention to what was happening in New York where I practiced and startups were popping up all over the place. New media was making waves and I wanted to be a part of that. And so I decided to go out there and start my own thing. And at the time when I flipped the lights on in my new office, I you wouldn't have been able to tell me that I would ever have worked for someone else again. I thought, this is it for me. I'm about to build this empire. And that's just it. I'm never going to be an employee again. And so I walked into it with that confidence uh, and belief in myself. And where I envisioned myself being 10 years from that point was having built out this big full service law firm with multiple partners and multiple associates and giving young lawyers a shot, particularly black and brown attorneys. Um, I thought I would be doing a ton of speaking, producing film and television, and probably that I would be involved in music, in the music business in some way. So much to my surprise, though, I really, really enjoyed it in the beginning. And I was making waves and connections and bringing in clients and, you know, building some momentum. But fast forward a couple of years and what ended up happening is I found myself incredibly burnt out and not really enjoying 90% of it. And I had purposely chosen to serve creatives, a lot of entertainers, a lot of people who were vets in the music business and then pivoting, tech founders who were really early in the startup process. I went after that demographic hard and I was networking and talking to other lawyers and they were basically saying like, look, I do medical malpractice. I do criminal defense work. I do immigration. I do bankruptcy. I do divorce. It's not sexy, uh, but it pays the bills and I can get work through the door pretty easily and get my invoices paid pretty easily. And so at the time, you know, they were encouraging me to kind of look into those things. And I was like, no, I'm not trying to be a Jill of all trades. I am trying to build a practice based on the areas that I'm passionate about and that I'm interested in. So I went into it with that thought in mind. And what I failed to consider at the time is that while entertainment and tech are really, really sexy industries, the money in the beginning can be very up and down. One, because people just don't pay their legal bills. You're really the last to get paid <laughs> in some areas of law, that being one of them. Also, too, I was still trying to find my footing, you know, as an entrepreneur. So in some instances, not charging enough, uh, not being confident enough to demand my money from people. And there are a lot of other things that went into that. You know, the startups really attract megalomaniacs and people who are self-important, uh, really difficult personalities to deal with. There are a lot of depressed uh, and emotionally and mentally unstable people in entertainment as well. I learned that very quickly. So now, in addition to just the general grind that all new solo lawyers really deal with, uh, I was realizing that being around so many difficult personalities and feeling that energy was really taking a toll on me as well. So after doing that for a couple of years, I was super burnt out and I was thinking like, man, I don't know if this is what I want to do, let alone for the rest of my life for the next 5, 10, 15 years. And so I started looking for ways around it. I didn't want to close the doors, but I knew that like doing that full time every day was really just 
taking me to a place that I didn't want to be mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. So originally I tried to find fulfillment by splitting my time. I was splitting my time between the practice and working with a nonprofit that was moving and shaking in an area that I was super passionate about. And what I didn't realize is that just because something is a nonprofit doesn't mean that it's not a toxic environment. So I was like, oh, these nonprofit execs, they might be worse than these entertainment and tech startup folks. So after doing that for a period of months, I was like, this is not it either. Okay, what am I doing here? And at that point, as somebody who's always been a strategist and a planner and a project manager and had all my boxes I was trying to check and moved through life really systematically, I felt a bit lost or really, really lost actually. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do in my career. I didn't know whether I wanted to be a lawyer anymore. I was thinking about leaving uh, New York in terms of where I practice and moving somewhere else and just starting over. And in a lot of ways, I felt aimless. Like I was just going through the motions. And when you have launched anything to great fanfare with the support of your friends, your family, your community, and people are like, you're really doing this and they're patting you on the back and you invest time, resources, energy, your money, your savings into it, it can be very difficult to admit that it's not quite working. And so for me, I was dealing with my feelings about it at first in a bubble. And then I I found a therapist to talk through it with, but I wasn't really even telling the people closest to me how difficult of a time I was having. Um, And then I made the decision to switch to consulting. So I was doing some corporate consulting and, you know, going in a different direction, serving different kind of clients, but the money was great and it was a lot less aggravation. I was not passionate about it, but it was giving me space to breathe, both financially and mentally. And I remember during that time feeling like maybe this is the lane for me. This feels like a happy medium. I'm good with this. It's not uh, what I was called to do, but hey, it's paying the bills. Like I can't complain. And it was my therapist at the time who said to me in a session, you know, I've been thinking about this. I've been praying on it. I've been meditating on it. And I think you would do really well going in house. Maybe that's the move for you. And I remember sitting there quite frankly, just stunned. I couldn't believe that First and foremost, she had offered up an opinion because if you've ever been to therapy, most of the time they allow you to sort of unpack whatever it is that you're thinking about and they ask guided questions. They'll, they may offer insight, but they don't really tell you what they think you should do, or at least that's been my experience. So I was really caught off guard by that. And then it switched for me and I wasn't just caught off guard. I was legitimately angry. I was upset that she offered up that solution as an option for me. And now in retrospect, thinking back on it, I realized I was angry because in my mind, she was saying that I couldn't cut it in my chosen lane. That's not what she said at all, but that's how I interpreted it. And that's what angered me. And now thinking back on it, or not at this moment, I mean, I've unpacked that in the past, but revisiting that experience, you know, I can 100% say that I was the one who was feeling like I couldn't cut it because I was so burnt out. And so her making that suggestion and coming from a healthy uh, and helpful space 
I couldn't hear it. All, all I could think at that moment was she is confirming what I'm already feeling about myself, be it subconsciously or consciously. And after a while, though, it turned out she was right. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't go down that route. I was like, I'm good with what I'm doing right now. This is the right happy medium for me. I wasn't actively looking for an in-house opportunity, but one fell right in my lap and it made sense. And my career has progressed in the last few years in a way that I couldn't have scripted if I wanted wanted to. And I'm in a really, really good place. And as I think about my experience over the course of my 30s professionally, one thing that has really struck me with this, and, and I think it's that sometimes we stick to the old plan because we don't want people to think that we failed or we don't want to feel like we failed ourselves um, or we don't want people to think that we didn't know what we were doing or maybe we feel guilt uh, that we didn't stick with our original plan. So if you're in a situation where it's not quite cutting it for you, it's not quite working, but you're afraid to make a change, there's something that I need you to know. Pivoting and failure are not the same thing. Sometimes you've got to just make adjustments and life is not easy. I, I like I am. <laughs> I'm here to tell you that if there's anybody who knows that it's me, it requires all kinds of adjustments. And I can say that for me personally, packing it in when I did was the best thing that I could have ever done. It was the best thing that could have happened to me. And it took me a while to get there. It really took that opportunity finding me and all the, the bells and whistles and signs pointing in that direction. But I'm encouraging you, if you feel like there's something in your life that's not working and you know it's not working, but you are remaining committed to it because you're afraid of judgment or what people might say or feeling like you've given up, pivoting is a part of life for most of us. For those of you who been on one path and it's all worked and you've been able to check the boxes without difficulty or disruption, great. But for the rest of us, there's going to come a time with something where you just got to say, you know what, I'm getting off the exit and I'm going to figure something else out. Businesses do it. Media, celebrities, everybody does it. We we People switch lanes when they have to and they make adjustments for the sake of making progress. And, and sometimes making the pivot in doing that, you will avoid a greater failure later. And so look at it as an opportunity to shift and adjust. Don't look at it as I dropped the ball here or I made a wrong move. You made a move and now it's time to make a different one. And that's okay. Um, and so that leads me to the second thing that I want to talk about uh, that has played a major role in the last few years of my life, but more so in the last year. And that is grieve the life you wanted but didn't get. And if you've been listening to the show, you know that, you know, Demarcus and I suffered a major loss at the top of 2021. We lost our father. But before that, I had lost a really good friend. Demarcus has experienced other loss as well. And it's been a lot. And I'm sure just in the day and age that we're living in right now, most of you listening, if not all, have the same story. So with respect to grief, I think it has approached my door in two ways, right? It's come to my door in the sense that I've lost loved ones, but it's also um, come to me in a different way. And so what my dad, my, losing my dad really opened up for me is like, yes, of course, I, I was grieving the loss 
of the person who helped bring me into the world. Uh, but the reality of it is that for the large majority of my life, my father and I had a very complicated relationship. And so just to be clear, our parents were married when they had us. Um, so we were you know, born to two parents, but their relationship was rocky and they would eventually divorce. And, you know, my father was in and out of our lives in a, in a lot of ways. And so, um, and he had his struggles and he was battling his demons and all of those things. So I think for years I was preparing myself for the day when he would not be here. Um, and I thought I was prepared for it, but it turns out that I was not. And when we lost him, I was not only just grieving his death, but I was grieving the relationship that we never had. And that is something that I thought I had completely processed. I had always said, you know, my dad and I may have had a difficult relationship, but I was fortunate enough to have really great, positive male figures in my life always who were there for me and supported me. Two amazing godfathers, um, my uncles, particularly my oldest uncle, has really stepped in, and then countless mentors throughout the course of my education and my career. And so I, I've always said, like, yeah, you know, the relationship with my dad was hard, but I had all of these people who really stood in the gap. But the reality of it is, there comes a time when a daughter just wants her father. And it can be hard to admit that. But when my father left here, it it was a closed door. I knew that there was never an opportunity now. There was never going to be an opportunity for reconciliation and for us to build what we never had. And so I was processing grief and loss in a way that I just didn't expect. And it really, really took me down, if I'm being honest. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, that in uh, the next lesson that I've learned. But in addition to reflecting on that, turning 40, the other thing that I've been thinking about is just what my life looks like. If you ask me how I feel about my life today, I will tell you that I'm pretty content. I've, I've had some beautiful experiences. I have the support of an incredible village and I get to balance my career, which is really stressful and demanding, uh, with the things that I'm passionate about. Community work, philanthropy, this podcast, telling stories, telling people stories, all of that stuff. And so I find gratitude in that. I'm grateful that I get to do these things and invest my time uh, and energy into them. But if you were to ask me if my life looks like what I thought it would look like at 40, uh, that's not exactly <laughs> what's going on here, if I'm being honest. Um, my life doesn't look much like I thought it would at this age. I've already described what I thought I was going to be doing professionally. But when I turned 30, I most certainly thought that by the time I reached 40, I would be married with at least two kids by now. And that's not my story. And yes, singlehood has its benefits. Being single has afforded me certain freedoms. There's no way I would be able to do all the things that I do if I had a family to tend to. And I, listen, there there are positives to that. Every every season in your life has negatives and positives. And I recognize that because I am single, I'm free to focus and devote this much energy and attention to my passions and my purpose and my goals. 
But the reality of it is I didn't ask for all this freedom. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I anticipated. Um, And if given the choice, I don't know that if somebody would have said to me five or seven years ago, listen, you can go this route and swing for the fences and all the things you're interested in, uh, being creative, creating content, interviewing people, climbing up the career ladder, or you can have this husband and these two beautiful children. I don't know if I would have chosen the former. As a matter of fact, I'm, I'm almost positive that uh, I would not have. And so now looking at 40, I'm still deeply committed to the idea of marriage and family. Um, but the reality of it is that it just hasn't happened for me yet. Can it still happen? Absolutely. But if I'm being honest, I did not want to get started this late. That was not the plan to you know, be still sitting on the fence at 40 years old, trying to figure out the if, the when, and the how. And I wasn't expecting to ever be having serious conversations with myself about a non-traditional family. You know, what might that look like for me if I choose to have kids, but I don't get married and all of those things. So I've spent a lot of time reflecting on who I've lost, on what I've lost, and also on what I haven't gotten the chance to have. And I'm not depressed about the way my life has turned out because again, I'm content. My life has many beautiful facets to it, but I'm also giving myself space to lean into what has not manifested for me or the ways my life unfolded that I didn't expect. And so I think before I was so focused on finding gratitude, because look, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're told to do. Find gratitude. It could always be worse. You know, all of those things. And I was doing that, but I've learned to lean into the grief over a lot of things. And I'm leaning into the grief also over denied and delayed dreams. And we see grief as such a negative thing. And we're a lot of us are afraid to go down that hole because we feel like it's dark and it's deep and it's black and we might not come out. But I'm telling you, you have to honor and hold space for your pain. Not only is it healthy, but it's necessary. It's necessary if you want those wounds to heal properly. It takes a ton of courage. It takes courage to confront the ways in which life has let you down or flat out knocked you on your back. And no matter what kind of loss you're dealing with, the grieving process is difficult. And, you know, we focus a lot on losing loved ones, but... Loss can come in many forms, loss of a relationship, loss of a job opportunity, failed career, um, trying something that didn't work, regret over not honing your talents and skills. I mean, it could be so many different things. And we place value and we place weight on loss of a loved one. But the reality of it is those other areas can affect you just as deeply and if not just as deeply, pretty deeply. And so you've got to give yourself the space to wade through that pain. And it's not an easy process. It's not something that happens overnight. And it's not something that always is forward moving. Sometimes it's three steps forward. Sometimes it's two back. You feel like you're over something and then you're triggered in some way and you realize, oh no, I've got uh, more work to do. But I'll tell you this, like through my own process, which I will readily admit I'm still in on a lot of different fronts, but through my own process, I found that by facing and unpacking all of those difficult moments in my life and all this loss and all these dashed hopes head on, I actually find that I'm more emotionally stable. And I think it's just because 
I'm taking the time. And obviously that's with the support of a great therapist and great friends. And we're listening ears to each other. Um, But I'm finding that because all that pain is not suppressed, while it can feel overwhelming at times to bring it up, I am actually processing it as opposed to internalizing it. I'm talking through my emotions. I'm honoring those emotions. I'm extending grace to myself, which for me, I'm finding regulates my feelings about those difficult things much, much better. And the other thing that's been surprising to me is that while I've experienced so much pain much more deeply in recent years, and that's both due to just the loss that I've experienced in the last year and a half, which has been incredibly traumatic, um, but not just because of that. It's just also pulling up a lot of old stuff that I was not paying attention to. Um, But as much as I've had to experience pain much more deeply, I'm also experiencing joy much deeply. And I don't know, I can't give you some formula for that. I don't even know how it happened. I just know that it's true. And if you Google on the internet, apparently this is a thing. It's a phenomenon. Um, it's It's a concept with respect to how we process emotion. Um, But I think for years, probably all of my 20s and coming into my 30s, I was living life really in what I'll call like a gray state. It wasn't really black or white. I wasn't really sad, but I wasn't necessarily super happy ever. I was just here. I was grinding out, doing what I needed to do. I was just existing. But I can tell you now, and I'm saying this as someone who is still actively grieving, I am still going through this process, but I can say in no uncertain terms that there is eventually joy on the other side. And when I say on the other side, I don't mean joy when you come through it all. You will find pockets of joy while you're in it. And those pockets of joy will come more frequently. You'll feel them more deeply over time. And there are days where you will feel a state of euphoria. And I know that's a strong statement to make, but I'm telling you, I've had that happen. So for all of the hard work it takes to process and grieve the loss that you've experienced and whatever life and hope and dreams that you've had for yourself that maybe didn't pan out or haven't panned out yet, it doesn't mean that it's not going to. There is power in processing your emotions about those things. And there's power in honoring your pain and creating space for that. And there is real healing when you wade through those difficult waters. And there's joy that you can experience and come to if you just do the work. Number three is choose new habits or revisit former good ones. Now, I can say in in my life, I have always tried to be a disciplined person. I've always tried to be a diligent person. And that extends to health and wellness as well. I've never been a person to just have a terrible diet. I've tried to be healthy. I try to eat pretty clean. But um, unfortunately, I'm one of those folks who has inherited uh, some genetic issues. And and it's all the, the things that plague our communities. I'm not someone who can eat fast food all the time. I can't just, you know, go crazy with sodium and all those things. And I've known that for a long time, but I wasn't necessarily actively committed to like being on level 10 
with respect to health and wellness. I would say I was probably at maybe a six, maybe a seven on that front, like trying to eat pretty clean, but um, not necessarily keeping up with my wellness visits with my primary care physician, you know, all the things that we put on the back burner. And and that was really earlier in my thirties, but probably when I got to my mid thirties, I realized, all right, you know, you're getting a little bit older, you need to do your part, make sure you get your blood work on time uh, and all of that. So I had a conversation with my doctor at the time. And also I'd gone in because I was like feeling kind of tired and I am someone who struggles on and off with uh, low iron. So I thought maybe it was that. And so she had given me a full workup and we talked about family history and all those things. And she said, listen, your blood work is decent. It's not terrible. It's not super great either. It's just good. Good in some areas, just barely decent in others. But given your family history and also your genetic predisposition, you really should be working out five to six days a week. And I was like shocked because here I am thinking, all right, I eat pretty clean. You know, I cheat like everybody else, but I eat pretty clean. I'm I'm working out um, quasi-regularly. Like I didn't expect to hear five to six days, but again, I did not necessarily hit the genetic lottery when it comes to things like hypertension and diabetes and cholesterol. So I have to be very diligent. And so I said, okay. And I left that conversation with every intention of doing what she said, but I didn't necessarily create intentional space for this. And for me, five to six days a week, going from what I was doing, which was like making it to the gym when I could, to dedicated five to six days a week felt daunting giving my schedule. And, you know, the world has changed now and we're all working from home more and all those great things. But at the time, I was commuting to New York five days a week. So I'm working a ridiculous amount of hours. At this point, the show, I think the show had had launched, was pretty early in the process of the podcast. There was a lot happening, right? I was speaking and doing all those things. And one thing that I will readily admit about my personality is that I am someone who hyper-focuses on things. I'm an all or nothing person. I don't do well with just, or I should, I should say at the time, I was not doing well with doing things in small increments or just taking the step. It's like, if I'm not doing what you told me to do, and that's five to six days a week, which is overwhelming me, then I'm just not going to start this. So I would be in this terrible cycle of getting on the five to six day a week plan and I'd stick to it. And then something would happen in my life. Work would get crazier. I was closing a deal or I ended up on the road for some reason traveling and I would fall off the wagon. And so I went through this process for a couple of years, right? If No, longer than that, longer than a couple of years. And then of course, when the pandemic hit, I was making the adjustment like everybody else to the gyms being closed and being like, okay, I need to like pull up a YouTube video or something. But I wasn't exactly rushing to do that. I had started a new chapter in my career. I just bought a house. I was just focused on many other things. And then loss came and loss hit me like a ton of bricks. So by the time early 2021 rolled around, my physical activity was like in the basement because we weren't going anywhere. Everybody was still home. I was working from home. Uh, I was dealing with the aftermath of my friend's death and processing that and then actively dealing with the fallout from my father's death, trying to plan a funeral in the middle of COVID from a different country, 
uh, because my father was in Jamaica at the time and just dealing with a lot of stuff. So my physical fitness was not great. And on top of it, because people knew what we were going through, they were sending food to my house or sending um, like DoorDash gift certificates. So I had stopped cooking pretty much altogether. They would send a lot of wine. And so by the time the summer rolled around, so before the summer, I said to myself on my last birthday, okay, I I need to do something. This is not going to work. I wasn't so far in the black hole of grief that I wasn't cognizant of what was going on and what wasn't happening. So I said, all right, I'm going to gift myself a spin bike. And I did that. And I said, I don't care if it's just uh, 15 minutes. I'm just going to do that. And it was really evident to me, really on that, the first time I got on the bike, like how bad it had gotten, how like out of shape I really was. But I was like, I'm just going to stick with it. And so I would for a bit. And then life would kind of knock me down. I'd just be staring at that bike for a couple of weeks. And um, still kind of falling into the habit of miss one day, one day turns into two, another one turns into three, just throw the whole week away. And then something happened to me uh, over the summer last year. And I don't think, I don't know that I've mentioned it on the show. I can't remember. Um, But DeMarcus and I, if if you know us well, you know, we have the philanthropic work we do and we had a back to school bash that that we were doing. We give out backpacks. We've been doing that uh, since 2019. And I honestly was not feeling it last year. And it was because of the grieving process. It was because I wasn't feeling well in my body. I was really exhausted. All the extra precautions we were going to have to take because of COVID with less volunteers, because we knew a lot of people just wouldn't show up. Um, So it felt like this Herculean task But people really rallied around us and said, no, you have to do this. We'll help. My friends were like, come on, you got to keep the momentum going. You can make it happen. So I begrudgingly uh, did it. We went into it, Marcus and I, we put our heads together with a small stable of volunteers. And, you know, we set about making it happen and we were making it happen. But the closer we got to that weekend, the worse I was feeling physically. I was just... Um, dealing with headaches. I was super, super exhausted, feeling like a little bit dizzy at times, had a bit of like mental fog. So, you know, we're living in the middle of a pandemic. My first thought was, do I have COVID? So thinking about for the first time in a long time, being around a number of people, I said, you know what, let me go get a COVID test just to make sure. So I... (laughs) Went to the urgent care that I always go to and uh, the woman takes takes some information from me and I tell her what's going on. She's like, all right, we'll give you you know, a rapid test and a PCR. Let me just take your vitals. And she took my vitals and I could see her. I could see the look on her face having a moment, but she wasn't saying anything to me. And she had taken my blood pressure and she went to take it again. And at this point, I guess she's trying to distract me because... She's just asking me questions about like my life. Oh, do you live around here? Are you taking a COVID test because you're getting ready to travel? What's on your calendar? But I could see her face watching the blood pressure monitor. So because I'm used to my blood pressure being a little high at certain points, I'm not tripping. I'm just like, okay, you know, it's a little elevated today. She's seeing that. She doesn't want to freak me out, not knowing that I've been through this before. Um, And it's fine. And she, so she took my blood pressure a couple of times. 
goes to get the doctor. Doctor comes back, comes into the room. And I'm thinking she's just gonna uh, tell me my rapid test results. And I don't know, maybe listen to my chest because I said that I was feeling kind of weird. And instead, that's what I thought was going to happen. But instead, she says to me, I think you should go to the, the ER. And I'm like, what? And she said, your blood pressure is extremely high and you're tachycardic. And, and I watch just enough Grey's Anatomy to know what that means. So I'm looking at this woman like stunned. And she said to me, listen, I don't know if... your heart sounds the way it does because you are here and maybe you were nervous about your COVID test or if it sounds the way it does because your blood pressure is so elevated or if it sounds this way because you had a minor cardiac event that wasn't caught or you're on your way to having one. And the only way to fully figure this out is for you to go to the, the ER. So it's scary for somebody to tell you that you need to go to the ER in regular times. Imagine hearing that uh, being in one of the most COVID-infested counties in the state of New Jersey. Uh, so, of course, I wasn't feeling that. and But I'm like, I didn't know what to do. I, I was just kind of stuck. So I took the information. I texted my mom, and who works in healthcare, and you know she was able to get a quick second opinion for me. And it was decided with the doctor there in that moment that um, I would, they would take an EKG. And so they put me on an EKG machine. So I'm lying there with all the little patches hooked up to me. And um, they said, okay, well, let's look and see if we can see anything. And if the EKG is normal, we'll think about an alternative option. So the EKG thankfully was normal. And she basically said, it's not my opinion that you should go home. But of course, I can't force you to go to the ER. So if you're not going to go to the ER... I would suggest you go get a blood pressure monitor. Monitor your blood pressure tonight over the you know next couple of days. And if it gets any higher, you need to go straight to the, the hospital. So I did that. And some may say that was a risky move. But at the time, you got to remember, this is not the COVID of today. This is the COVID of last summer when a lot of people still weren't vaccinated. I was at the time. But um, so I just and plus I was still in the thick. I mean, really in the thick of grief. So I just was like, I can't, I I can't do this. So I said a prayer, picked up this blood pressure monitor. Um, and I went home and thankfully it dropped, it dropped that night and everything was fine. And I followed up, uh, with primary care physician and we came up with the treatment plan, but he spent a good long while in his office talking to me about lifestyle changes. And it wasn't just He's like, listen, I already know, based on what you told me, you're not eating terribly. I've seen way worse. If people look at you, they're thinking you're probably the picture of good health and you're doing okay. It's not, you know, so alarming that I feel like you can't turn this around, but you cannot continue to work at the pace that you do, to move through life the way that you do without creating space for your health. Like this is not going to work long time, long term. And if you don't make certain changes, there are going to be real consequences and there are going to be serious consequences. So that was the conversation that really woke me up to say, okay, something's got to give. And he did agree and said the same thing. Like you got to get to the five, six days a week. I know it sounds crazy, but you do. 
but don't start there. And so he and I crafted a plan. And that was the first time I think I had, had approached it where it was not an all or nothing. It was like, okay, let me just focus on what I can do today, given where I am in my life, given where I am emotionally, given where I am mentally. So I went back to that spin bike and I started committing um, and putting it as a habit that I was developing that was non-negotiable. In addition, I hired a trainer and I've always been pretty athletic. I can figure out a workout routine. I can figure out a weight training plan between the apps and YouTube and people that I know who work in the space. I'm able to do that. And so for a while, I wasn't getting a trainer because I felt like that's a waste of money. I know how to put this together. But I knew at this point where I was in my life, I needed the accountability. I needed somebody to push me. And we started. We just started with two days a week. So I would meet with him two days a week and it was brutal in the beginning. And I would deal with the spin bike and work out on my own. And I had to work my way up to that five to six day a week plan. And I will tell you, there are some weeks where it's just four, but for one reason or another, but I have learned to get up every day and choose the new habits. And I've learned to get up every day and revisit the ones in my life that have worked for me in the past that I might have left, let fall by the the wayside. So even though I was eating clean before, I started monitoring everything, my caloric intake, my protein intake, my sodium intake as well. And I saw more change in a few months that I've probably seen ever in years of of working out on and off since I was in a student. And so I'm I'm presenting this here to say I know especially for the 26er crowd, we tend to swing for the fences and we try to implement everything overnight and it doesn't always work like that, but there are ways to create small habits that turn into big habits. And now I've finally gotten to that point and I hate to sound like one of those people, but I've gotten to that point where it has become just something that I do. I don't I don't think about it even on the days where I get to bed a little bit later than I would like. I just know I have to get up. Like that it just is what it is. It's a part of the program just like my job is a part of the program just like this podcast is a part of the program. Now my health and well-being has to be as high if not higher on the list. So I'm encouraging you today if there are things that you've just let go um and areas that you've lacked discipline in I would not encourage you to try to reinvent yourself in every area, but choose the habits that contribute to your well-being. Choose the habits that push the needle forward. Choose the habits that's going to get you farther down the line on your own personal journey. And lastly, before I get out of here, this one is really important. I kind of threw it on there as an afterthought, but I'm glad I did. And this one is celebrate often. And it sounds like a basic concept, but again, I know the 26er crowd because I am one. I'm the original 26er. And I've always been this person who liked to do things in a big way. I'm always pushing for the major milestones, but like I didn't really ever stop to pay attention to the incremental progress on any, on most things in my life. Maybe things like the podcast, I've always kind of, you know, filed on the road. If you've been with the show since the beginning, you know, all I did in the beginning was solo episodes for those first 15 episodes. And then I said, okay, now let's add guests. Let's start with people that we know. And then we moved on to strangers, people that we didn't know. And then we had a a taping over dinner and all these things. And now we're into this micro content and 
the Monday morning move and all those things. So that's one area where I feel like I have been comfortable with the the incremental progress. But even with that, I don't know that I've actually celebrated it as I have uh, recently. Up until probably a few months ago, I was just nose nose down, you know, nose to the grindstone, get it done, make it happen. And um, at this juncture, it took me a long time to get here. But if there's one thing that this podcast in particular has shown me is that there is power in building momentum. There's power in building momentum via those small wins. And we won't even get into how it's really helped me to see my growth. Now that I actually pay attention to the incremental progress and pay attention to the little things um, that have shown that I'm okay, you're moving forward. I realize that like, it is helping me to see like, no, you're growing. It may not be the destination. It may not be the end goal, but you are definitely growing. So whether it's one more rep in the gym or that one affirmative comment that somebody leaves on the December 26er IG page, or if it's getting a little more sleep, I see all of these things as reasons to really pat myself on the back to say, you know what? You're headed in the right direction. I see these things as guideposts. They're guideposts on the path towards the big things. They're small, but they're the guideposts that show that I am on my way. I am moving into in the direction of the things that I see as monumental. And I'm encouraging you to do the same thing. I know sometimes it's hard to see that little step that you took um, as a win, but it's just that. It's something that's a mile marker that's showing you, you know what? It's not the end. It's not over. I'm moving. I might be shuffling uh, in what feels like a bunch of little small minor steps, but I am moving. And as I go into my 40th year and just bringing it full circle to everything that we've, we've spoken about here today, and I think about what I want it for my life and what it actually is, as I think about everything that I have lost and the things that I have gained in the process, as I think about the ways in which I have been engaging in self-care and self-improvement and health and wellness and the habits now that are a part of me, they're a part of my identity, I'm taking a moment to breathe. I'm not, I'm not just celebrating the fact that I've made it to 40 because after all that we've witnessed and seen, we know that that's no small feat now. And it sounds crazy to say that, but it's the truth. I've, I'm, I have gratitude for making it, but I'm also celebrating the fact that I'm still moving. I have not laid down. I've not folded. I've not given up. No matter how small the steps are, I am taking them. And so I'm telling you today, I don't know necessarily what steps you are taking, but I know you're taking them as well and they deserve to be applauded. You deserve to be applauded. Now, listen, I am still a work in progress. Um, When I think specifically about the fitness journey, I'm definitely not where I want to be. And Demarcus and I, we've been filming some content for a while. I was like, I don't really want to release this. I'm not where I want to be yet. It's so easy to get caught up with like in the idea of doing it all in secret and then kind of having your big coming out with anything when you feel like you're established and you're an expert or you're advanced. And so I really was resistant. I I have been resistant to releasing that footage because I'm like, ugh, I don't want people to see me in the early part of the journey. I don't want people to see, you know, what was happening maybe in early December. And I've even made more progress since then. 
that's not hot, right? You don't look like um, the expert on anything or you don't look like you really have mastered this. And it's taken some nudging, but I've decided that it may not be um, where I would like to be. It may not be the, the shiniest of videos. It may not even look pretty. And trust me, I'm telling you, it doesn't. But if I'm gonna preach this message of celebrating the small wins, I wanna allow you to celebrate mine with me and I want to celebrate yours with you. So in all my uh, kind of still out of shape glory, <laughs> we're gonna be showing showing you uh, some of the things that I've been doing on my journey. And let me just say though, some of that footage is old, so it's gotten better, but it's important for me to be candid. And I know on this content creation journey, it's easy to get caught up in the facade. Everybody is trying to be an influencer and everything's shiny and sexy and perfect. And it just doesn't always work out that way in real life. And it takes time to get everything, your everything, the way you would like it to be. But if we can stop operating at this level of perfection that is really unreachable and unsustainable, I think we'd all be better for it. So I am stepping out in that way. Uh, be on the lookout for that content. And if you think about me this week, say a prayer. Say a prayer that my 40th year and my 40s, um, that we continue on this journey of the show. We can continue to bring you the content uh, that we want to and that I specifically continue to walk in the things that I have been purposed to do. As always, I appreciate your support. As always, I hope that you've taken something from this episode that you can apply to your life. And as always, if nothing else, I hope you remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.